welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Patrick, do you know how to get a country girl's attention? How? A tractor. Nice. Here, you should reply. I don't want to get a country girl's attention. I want to get a country girl's attention. Unless you're wearing cowboy boots. Okay, so I thought that was an appropriate intro yes. for today's conversation, which We're is talking about the rodeo. The rodeo and how that applies to betrayal. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the cows feel betrayed. Anyway, yes. um, no, today we're going to talk about falling, falling in love falling again. Back, in, back in love again. After after recovery or through recovery. Should we start over? No, I think that works. Falling back in love again after betrayal and mm-hmm. after recovery. And in recovery. After addiction. <laughs> Should we try again? No. Falling back in love. Uh huh. Do you love during? Me? Do you recovery. love me? I do love you. There you go. That's all they need to know. Okay. All right. So let's talk about it. So I well, let's start with this. Um, I very much believe in soul connections, soul ties, or energetic connections and ties that you have with people, and I believe that that is on a spiritual level as spiritual beings that we can create and develop these connections to other beings. And I think it's particular, um, you know, as a Christian and as a spiritual human, I do think there is something to be said about the idea of soulmates and like the connection that ensues from that energy and soul connection with another person. So I know not everybody views it the same way. Um, but I, I just want to share a little bit of a story because I have personally experienced what that feels like. And so, when we got together, I absolutely felt like we were soulmates and we were madly in love and totally invested and um, that we had that connection on a deep, deep level. I firmly... It was my eyes, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was the blueness <laughs> of the ocean in your ah. eyes. <laughs> so I just really, you know, I... And, and people, you know, might make fun of me for this, right? But I have always kind of had this... this Disney personification of romance and soulmates and stuff like that, but but not to not to the level of being immature. I I just believe that it's really true that people can have a connection like that, love and respect each other, admire each other, put each other um, up, um, and you know, to a level of um, I'm lucky to be in this relationship with you and live that way and enjoy each other the rest of their life. You know, I've never really liked this whole messaging that we get from society that like, well, when you're done with the honeymoon phase, it's over. And, you know, the ball and chain or the terminology, the wife or these, these, yeah, these, just these, or people making fun of their husbands or whatever. Like I just never have felt like that's what has to happen or that's the end result of being in love with somebody is that you ultimately end up there. Right. Like I just, I've never liked that. And I've always held to this idea, this idealistic view of marriage that you really can be in love and actively in love with someone uh, throughout the duration of your relationship. So when when all of this came out, it was just devastating because not only did I feel like I had had that with you, I felt like I was losing it and that potentially it could never come back. Mm -hmm. And so that was just devastating to me and just horrible. Um, But I felt a deep connection with you to the point where even though we were going through discovery and um, disclosure and all of these things, the first several weeks, and even maybe it was the first couple months, I don't remember how far into it this was. I still felt that connection to you, what I consider to be a soul tie, a soul connection to you until a specific discovery. Mm -hmm. And that was um, that you had acted out um, on our anniversary one year. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this conversation with you and I physically felt the soul tie disconnect. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think may be kind of weird for people to acknowledge or understand. But I physically felt if you, if you visualized heart to heart, a light spiritual connection 
energetic tie or cord, however you want to visualize that between us, I physically felt it cut and disconnect. And we were at that point separated Mm -hmm. on a spiritual level. And that was such a weird experience for me. And it was so devastating and it was so depressing and it was so hard. And, um, through this process, I really wondered, you know, is it possible to go through all of this and establish that connection again? And it's not just like the romance, but like the soul, but both, you know, like the, can you get the butterflies? Can you fall in love again? Can you redevelop if it's truly a soulmate situation or the right partner, however you want to view it, whether you view it the way I do or not, but can you have that energetic connection again? And I think that we are finally at a place in our recovery mm-hmm. where I can really, I think that has reattached itself and is beginning to develop again, which is like Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, Patrick, like Spider-Man. Very good. I'm being romantic over here. And you go like Spider-Man. Yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, I think that we're finally at a place. So I wanted to talk to talk to people about that because one of the, biggest questions is, is this process worth it? Mm-hmm. And is falling in love again possible when you go yeah. through this? I think there's, um, and, and I was thinking about this before we started, before we uh, started recording, but you know, how does that, how does that happen? Right. So I think, I think everybody understands how it, how it gets broken. Well, let's pause for just a second and ask before we get too much into that. I want, I want to know your perspective on the soul tie connection, do you, is it something that you physically feel or even, cause I didn't ask you this before we started recording. Do you believe in that the same way that I do? I don't know. I mean, I think, I, um, I think you, I think you've thought about it a lot. I think where I would probably come back to is I believe that, that God has a plan for us. And I believe that within that, there is that connection. There are people who will, who will go their whole lives being single. Right. And, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not saying that, like, so yeah. I, I, I'm I not do saying, believe, like, you don't have, yeah. Yeah. I, I do believe in, in the whole notion of what I'm saying. Between the two of us, plan. between the two of us, yes. is that something that you believe in? Yeah. And have you felt that connection? Like, yeah. You, oh, that yeah. you would acknowledge it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I think so. I think, I think the, the ease of, of interaction, the, uh, because I actually believe that you can have soul ties with people that you are maybe not supposed to be with. Mm-hmm. or yeah. yeah or people yeah or energetic connections to events or experiences or people mm-hmm. that you don't want to have anymore and that's actually right. you know sometimes when you go through emotional processing and trauma work you actually actively disconnect those ties right. Right. so i do believe like yeah there's other there's not it's not necessarily always a healthy thing i think mm-hmm. there's a romantic aspect to it when it is healthy right, right. um for sure it can be yeah um but yeah okay go ahead yeah, so I mean, I, I guess to answer your question, I, I, I do believe that. I do believe that that people are meant to be together. And you I'm your soulmate. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I actually think, you know, what's interesting is I, I when this happened, I, and I, we, we've talked about this before, I was like, well, you know, we'll just have to get divorced and, and that'll be that. And because she needs to, to move on and be with safe people, right? You know, that, that was kind of the, the, the thought in my mind. And so, um, and at that point, my thought process was, well, I'm just, I will never date again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'll never date again. I mean, just, you know, whatever, it just won't happen again. And I, and I think a lot of that came from like, well, there just won't be anybody else mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I'm as clear in my thinking as mm-hmm. with it as you. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you believe it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I, I guess when you, it changes a little bit how you feel about it when you have had a personal experience where you have a physical and emotional and spiritual sensation kind of all wrapped into one thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, it was almost like physically something had been connecting uh, our bodies or souls or whatever however you want to mm-hmm. say that yeah. and like something physically disconnected it it was a very sure. dramatic uh moment for me yeah. Yeah. um and then even doing the trauma work that i do um there's a lot within trauma work where you are cord cutting and disconnecting and there's there's a physical response to that and a psychological response that it's really it's a fascinating um it's a fascinating thing but um 
So let so let's talk about because one of the biggest questions is how do I fall in love with my partner again? And and I I hear this a lot, like how do I trust again and all this kind of stuff? I will say the number one thing to this is to not force it. Mm-hmm. So there is no rush on any of this. So much of this is a step-by-step, moment-by-moment experience with each other of building that consistency and trust over time so that it can gradually happen in a natural, unforced way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if any of you guys watch uh, Married at First Sight. The very, very silly TLC show uh, that's currently on Netflix since I've been binging a uh, season of it. I think it's like season 11 or something. It's not even the most recent season. I saw it was on there. I started watching it and it was whatever season started playing and it actually was recorded like back in 2020. So they're going through lockdown and everything together. But it's really interesting watching these couples because they chose to get married to someone that they did not know. They met them at the altar, right? And then the experience of getting to know someone and a lot of them are basically playing this game of, can I trust you? Mm -hmm. And the partners are having to prove to each other slowly over time that they are people that can be trusted and can be safe people. And so I'm watching it, you know, with everything that we've been through, like this is like a, a microcosm of like, the experience that we have had just in a different scenario. Right. So I, we had a relationship, we had trust, then we lost it and had to rebuild it. These people didn't even know each other and they came into it. And it's like, it's not like dating, right. With dating, you kind of have, you're like, well, I'll trust you until you prove me different, but I can, I have an out, right. These people jumped into marriage and they're like, I have to protect myself because this is dangerous. And most of them, which I found really interesting. Over time, I let my guard back. And over time, I let my guard down. And what was really interesting is most of them were not having sex right away because they really wanted to learn that they could trust the other person Mm -hmm. and develop that connection and have some sort of emotional intimacy before they got to that place. So it was really interesting to watch them and to see the parallels of, of our relationship. And I think within the betrayal community, there's so much pressure that, well, I am married to this person and we have had sex before. Therefore, I should have sex with this person, or I should say, I love you, or I should offer affirmation, or I should force myself into this box because that's where we were used to be. But the reality is the emotions and the feelings of betrayal and the loss of trust and the fear of your future, those are real. And so this falling in love thing can happen, but it doesn't happen quickly. Mm -hmm. It happens over a long period of time with a lot of baby steps. And like we had mentioned in the other episode, that idea of you know, it only takes one person to destroy a marriage, but it takes two to recover it. Mm-hmm. This falling back in love doesn't happen unless both people are doing the healing work and are both invested and moving towards the same goal. Right. Well, you know, one of the just kind of pulling back a little bit, you know, the, the five couples from married at first sight, the two that have achieved that kind of intimate sexual intimacy, the fastest mm-hmm. seem to be the two couples. Those four people seem to be the ones that bring the least amount of baggage into that relationship. You know what I mean? They're they're a little bit more balanced and, and a little bit more willing to have open, right. deeper conversations. Right. It's like their communication styles seem very much more like, "Hey, we're you know we're this going feel this is what's going yeah, on. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about stuff." And so, so the ones that aren't, there might be one or both of them that don't fully share mm-hmm. what's going on, or they have they have intimacy issues or whatever relational issues that, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think I think so. If you think about betrayal as a trauma. Right. And and we've said this before. It is certainly a trauma to the to the betrayed, but the behavior itself is a trauma to the betrayer. And so you always have to think about that. Sometimes people will say, well, it's just the 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 betrayed person has to get recovered from trauma. But there's there's certainly past trauma that drove the behavior. But mm-hmm. the behavior itself is a trauma. Yeah, I mean, I reckon like my thought with this is that you both view this as going back to square one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me just kind of wrap this, what, what this looks like, like in our personal experience and kind of tying this into the way I approached it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to be a little different for everybody because, again, everybody has different traumas, different fears, different insecurities, different things they came into the relationship with. So everybody's quickness or slowness in, in moving in certain directions is going to be different. But as a couple, you you want to communicate that very clearly how mm-hmm. you're feeling, where you're coming from, what that looks like and why, right? And so 
for us, what that looked like, again, no rushing. I did not say I love you for at least six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had been, I had been like, I mean, up until the point that this happened, I still considered myself like madly in love with you, like actively in love with you. And I would say, I would make sure that I said, I love you every morning and every night before I went to bed. And it was a thing for me because I was like, I had the fear in the back of my mind. Like what if something happened? And I looked back and said, I didn't say I love you that morning. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I said that every single morning and every single night. And so when all of this happened, I was so wounded. I pulled all of that back. And I was like, I really, and I, I recommend that people do this in their relationship after betrayal. This is a clean slate. So whatever your relationship looked like before, you get to create and design the relationship that you want moving forward. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to quote unquote, go back. In fact, I don't recommend that you go back at all. I recommend that you look forward and create a 2.0 version of whatever it is that you want to move into. So if there were problems in your relationship, this is the opportunity to resolve those. If there was something you didn't like, great. This is the opportunity to talk about it. If there was something you loved, cool, build on that and make it better, Mm -hmm. you know, create something new and different and better than that. And so I didn't say I love you because, um, well, I was mad and hurt. Right. And, and that's totally reasonable. And I don't, my point in sharing this is, um, don't force yourself to do stuff. Everything I feel like in terms of building quote unquote romance and building the relationship and building trust after betrayal should be intentional and should be from the heart. It should be meant. You you don't want to feel coerced or rushed from your church from your spouse, from your family, from your friends, or even looking at other couples. We were in some situations where we would kind of watch other couples recovering and be like, why are they in this place um, so much faster than we are? Or why are they having this experience? And we haven't had that experience yet, right? And that's Mm -hmm. hard. But what we ultimately ended up kind of learning was sometimes, you know, it is sort of like the tortoise and the hare, right? Sometimes slow and steady wins the race. We were really committed to leaving no stone unturned Mm -hmm. and we weren't going to bypass anything and we weren't going to overlook anything. And we weren't going to say, Oh, well, this part doesn't matter. Let's just not talk about it. And that I think meant that it was going to be a slower process for us, Mm -hmm. but we both would talk about that a lot, recognizing and hoping we were really hoping that the slow intentionality of it would actually lead us to what we wanted, which was to fall back in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think through this process, you always have to take stock of what you were before betrayal and, and what you want to be um, after discovery. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that, that you can achieve that with that person? So, it, yeah, I, I remember one of the things that it was, I always kind of disagreed with you too a little bit, but you were like, you know, you, the betrayer is not allowed, the betrayer is not allowed to leave ever. I'm like, well, I understand that initially, but I think it's. Oh, like, well, let's yeah. clarify that. Like, yeah. you, I very much felt like you don't get to right. drop this bomb with me yeah. and then say, and then say you're better off without me. I'm divorcing you. And then you've yeah. also abandoned me in the process of me finding out. Right, right. Yeah. So I think, I think, but, but my point there is, is so, you know, what was your relationship, relationship like before? You know, was it was it great? You know, kind of like you're referring to. You know, was it was it no? Essentially, no issue. You can argue that the issues. Are yeah. you friends? Right. right. Like, yeah. do you love each other? Did you see a future in um, a level of um, connection? Right. Their right. mutual respect, mutual yeah. encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think um, having that is a as a foundation. And then also in, in that, what, how quickly is safety established? And what does that mean? Like, what does safety really mean? Oh, that's the biggest in, one. You know, for, for us, that meant a lot of different things. It could mean different things for different couples. Definitely. You know what I mean? And so I, I want to talk about, you know, I, I, never, I never welcome a relapse or whatever, but there could be a situation where a couple decides that if a relapse happens, the safety part is you come and speak to me right away. And we're going to try to find ways. We're going to analyze it. We're going to figure it out. That yes. was not the case for us. Right. I mean, in, in, in your mind, in Kylene's mind, um, that would have been a deal breaker. So, you know, that's that was her definition of safety. And, and that certainly made sense. And, it, but, and you're right. In some relationships, what makes a woman feel safe is the lack of secrecy. And so it is, I understand that this is going to be a difficult process. But what I expect out of you 
is that you come communicate to me and they set time limits on that, right? So for example, if you told me within 24 hours that you click on something versus I find out a week later and I look at your browser history, mm-hmm. right? They, they, because I've talked to so many women at this point and one of the most common themes, and I will hear them actually say this and it is so true. So often the belief in the, the mind of the betrayed spouse, the hurt spouse is it's not even about the behavior. It is, it's all horrible, it's all mm-hmm. terrible, but it's not even about the behavior. What's really destroying us is is trying to mentally cope with the lies and the manipulation that we were duped by for so long. Yeah, right, it's the lies. And so that's where a lot of the times in recovery and that establishing trust, it is can the betrayed uh, or can the um, addicted partner be honest and forthcoming and agree to some boundaries around honesty to create that safety. I think that's what you're talking about. So in our situation, it was very different. Safety for me involved being in a relationship with someone who was not going to relapse. And so I spent a lot of time waiting to see if that could actually be our reality. Mm -hmm. Now for somebody else, they may have a greater capacity to handle those situations than I did and may choose to approach it differently. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that was part of it. And then I think on top of it is, is the each uh, spouse um, desiring to help the other one heal. So, you know, there's that book that I've referenced before about help or heal. And that's where the betrayer is helping the betrayed um, heal during triggers and things like that. But I think, I think, you know, what helps restore this relationship is you're trying to restore to a level playing field is what you're doing. So is there an interest on the betrayed's part to help the betrayer heal as well? And that sometimes isn't talked about or whatever, but that's very, very important in a relationship because both both parties are moving towards a common goal of a restored individual. Well, I think which you mentioned means, before, which is basically like, do you like the other person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. do you have their best interests at heart? Because if you really like the person, you can be hurt and angry and all of these things very validly. So, and that can take a long time to recover, but if you really like them, you can also simultaneously be rooting for them mm-hmm. and cheerleading them and be supporting them in their recovery and encouraging them. Right. Mm-hmm. So there were, there are a lot of ways that I was encouraging you and supporting you and rooting you and pushing you forward and holding you accountable and doing all these sorts of things. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And there were also moments where you would say, Hey, I did this. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm, not going to celebrate you right now because good job. You just didn't cheat on me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm not going to give you kudos for doing the right thing. Right. So there, right. both of those can coexist mm-hmm. in, in a healthy way to an extent. Um, but the idea is that overarchingly, are you both again, do you both have the same end result now in the beginning you might not know and that's fine. Yeah. But, at, but it, what, are, what we're saying is like in general, do you like that human being? And if you are a couple that is moving towards reconciliation and you really are hoping for that whole, I want to actually fall in love with this person again, that, that is not something that you can rush. It is something that is totally possible. And that is usually going to take a lot of time and consistency. So going back to the, um, the show, the Mary at first sight, there's a particular couple in it where I'm watching this process where the man is really trying to open up the the trust of his spouse to gain her trust. And so she is very closed off and protected. And who knows? I don't know what previous relationships she had and what woundings she has and trust issues and things like that. But um, you just see this kind of playing out in that he's like, it's going to take time. It's going to take consistency. I'm trying to show her that I'm going to be there for her. Right. And I'm not going to push her. And that goes into sex as well. Right. So a lot of couples, um, with recovery, well, and we've talked about this briefly, I think before too, where there's the two ends of the spectrum, hypersexuality of like, mm-hmm. Hey, I need to feel like you are attracted to me now that I know that you're acting out to all these other women or there's hypo sexuality or anorexia where it's like, um, don't touch me. Don't look at sure. me. Like I'm not interested yet. And so, um, navigating that in a way that is healthy and saying, regardless of, um, where you are in recovery day one, day 3000, <laughs> that doesn't really matter in any relationship, in any marriage, sex should never be something that you feel pressured, obligated, 
coerced, forced, like it's your job, like it's your duty, like you need to have sex or else he's going to cheat on you. You need to have sex or else he'll look at other women. You need to have sex or he won't be interested in you. You need to have sex or else you won't have that commitment or that emotional connection. No, none of that should ever be forced or rushed or hurried in any way. The One of the biggest misconceptions, I, I think, in culture in general, specifically since it is such a pornified culture, and when people are involved in that, is that sex then produces intimacy, and that's the opposite. Right. Intimacy then creates the connection to allow sex to be an intimate experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like a huge disconnect. And there's and there's so many different layers to um, what sex looks like. Um, you know, so many times it's like, oh, well, if, you know, you just go from like zero to a hundred. It's like, there are so many things in between that mm-hmm. fall into that category of physical intimacy. Right. And, um, and even, and even choosing to do that can maybe even build the intimacy before you go a hundred percent, like all these different things. Right. So that is something I think that is really, really important to protect your body and to protect your mind. Because the thing is when you mentally override something that your body isn't ready for, your body is going to keep track of that experience. Mm-hmm. And so if you are really working towards love and romance and emotional intimacy, you don't want to be taking actions as a couple that override that sense of safety or that override that sense of um, feeling safe in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, within that, you know, moving slow, we, you know, there, there's the whole notion of sexual in- intimacy you're having the uh, the ability to stop and right. to say, hey, hey, can we stop? I need to kind of regather my thoughts or, hey, we just we just need to stop. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being able to respect each other on that because it may, you know, the triggers may come on both sides, actually. And so being able to respect that and say, OK, you know, that that sh- demonstrates a lot of caring and a lot of, you know, and, and but I, I really think that there's what we're really talking about is a is a level playing field, mm-hmm. you know, the the the. Love will return when the playing field becomes level mm-hmm. and the playing field only becomes level through safety, mm-hmm. work, um, you know, trust, you know, safety. I think I already said safety. We'll say safety it in a million again. times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like, but it's talking that, is yeah. like, safety is required for any type of recovery. Mm-hmm. It's re- required for brain recovery. It's required for um, nervous system recovery. Right. And, um, love can be extended to a human being in a lot of different ways, right? Like I can love you even though I'm not romantically in love with you, right? And what we're talking about is how do you get through all this pain to get into romantic in loveness again? And I think that doesn't necessarily mean you don't love the person throughout the process, Mm -hmm. but just because you love somebody doesn't mean that you override your own systems or your own, um, your own woundings um, in order to, I don't know what that would be in order to quote unquote, be a good person or be a good Mm -hmm. wife. Right. When you are hurt, that needs to be acknowledged. And what you're talking about is an in physically intimate situations, part of what drives the emotional intimacy and further physical intimacy in the future is is communication. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think the number one thing that, or I would say top three that has really helped us through this process is being able to communicate very openly and honestly. And what you just said has happened. I don't know how many times Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden we are interacting with each other and I start crying Mm -hmm. or I will say, Hey, I need to like pause for a minute because this is what's happening. And I just need a minute. Can we talk about this? Right. Right? And that might mean, okay, you get back to it right after that, or it might mean you're done for the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And maybe that means that, um, you hug a lot and I keep crying. Like there's been a lot of times where I'll start crying and then you hug me and then it all comes out. Right. Um, and then that ends up, uh, moving us forward. And sometimes, and here's the thing about avoiding hard conversations sometimes, and this actually happened to us recently. Sometimes having the really hard conversations is actually what drives that emotional intimacy and safety. And so we sat down and had a really hard conversation recently kind of sharing some fears and insecurities and stuff like that. And it was like the next day we just felt so much better and more connected to each other and things were going really, really well. And I kind of felt like we moved over another wall and kind of mm-hmm. onto another step in our relationship. If you think about how good, effective relationships are built, 
you know, of the best, if you can just close your eyes and think about the best relationship you've been in, right? And that could be a romantic relationship. It could be a best friend. It could be a parental relationship. It could be any of those things. It's usually marked, the hallmarks are open communication, um, trust, um, uh, you know, a, a, a strong give and take, you know, between the both of you. Mutual right. supporting towards each other's goals. Right, right. And now does that guarantee, you because know, you can have a incredibly great relationship with a friend that's not romantic, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily guarantee the return of romance. Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think without those, you won't have, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, for those of you who are maybe in a relationship where the romance hasn't returned or you mm-hmm. feel like that's not coming, you know, I would say stay the course because, um, there were a lot of moments where we kind of had these conversations of like, are we just best friends? Yeah. After and, this has happened. And also too, you know, I, I hate to say this, but sometimes, sometimes that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes that, that, that's all sometimes right. Sometimes total reconciliation of yeah. marriage is not going to happen. It's not possible. Right. And Even with two really good people. Right. Right. And so then, but if you're in a much better, healthier place, then you have the ability to navigate through whatever next step that's going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if you have kids, you owe it to those kids to be as healthy with you, with each other as mm-hmm, you can be. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah, really, just, just really yourself, cool. honestly, yeah, and right, to, right. to each other and to other humans and all of your relationships. Right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I think to that point there to encourage people, if they, I've always thought about this, like in terms of my divorce and then working through this process, And that is when you have something that was positive in the first place, there's a lot of hope for what you can accomplish next. And so, for example, in my first relationship, um, I had been very unhappy. I had regretted making that decision. I knew pretty early on I should not have gotten married. Like it just, we were not a healthy match for each other. And so, going through the divorce and everything, it's not like I felt like we had something that it had existed that was incredibly positive that I was leaving behind and should have worked harder to regain. Mm -hmm. But in our relationship, yours and mine, I felt like, no, it had been, it had checked off every box of everything that I had wanted. I, I did not have complaints. I was not unhappy. And I felt like it was very positive. So to me, there was this possibility that if this was addressed and if, if there was the possibility that I could truly heal and get over the pain mm-hmm. and move through it to a place, you know, where I could heal, then maybe we could have another chance. Right. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is I think that you don't always know how long that's going to take. Right. You can't rush that. Um, but in my mind, one of the biggest indicators that it's possible is, did you have that spark? Did you have something there mm-hmm. before? And not necessarily that you're going to, recreate the exact same thing or even that you're going to take what you had and build on it because I I very much think that I view them as different I view our relationships as, as very different the one before discovery and the one after discovery but if you had that connection with somebody before discovery I think it is possible to have that connection with them afterwards is yeah. what I'm saying and it may be very different it may be better hopefully it's better mm-hmm. um, because now you have vulnerability and honesty and you know literally everything about each other mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying, and, and again, I'm just going to bring it back into the married at first sight thing. When you're looking at couples and you're analyzing like what makes a couple work and what makes a couple not work, when when you are unwilling to be completely honest and vulnerable, then um, that typically is going to shut down progress so fast. And it goes on both directions, right? Like if the addict is not willing to share as he's going through recovery, here are my struggles. Here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I'm learning here, you know, I, I'm broken. I feel so horrible for hurting you. Like all of these things are connection points. They're not just being vulnerable. They're connection points. And for the betrayed party, it's like, yeah, it's totally okay for you to come and say, listen, I'm feeling insecure today. I'm worried that you're going to cheat on me again. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of fear. Um, I don't feel attractive anymore. Like it's okay to share all these. In fact, I would encourage you. Mm -hmm. I think these are huge connection points for both of you to begin understanding the other person's perspective why they feel that way and maybe your role in it, depending on what the situation yeah. is. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, through that, if, if both of you are working, this is the one thing that's, that, that's really, really hard. And I want to be careful the way I say this. If you're both working on 
personal restoration and relationship restoration, you've got to provide space for either side to be vulnerable. I think what, what can happen, and it's, it's perfectly okay early on for the betrayed to be like, I don't want to listen to you talk mm-hmm. about your feelings, right? <laughs> That's okay. It really is okay. But there has to come a point where in the interest of encouraging open communication, you have to allow the betrayed to come in and say, I'm worried about our relationship. I'm worried that, that, you know, that I'm not making headway and, and, you know, allow that person to maybe mm-hmm. share something without, and we, you know, I, and I, we keep bringing up the show, but there's instances on the show in the couples that aren't doing well, where one gets vulnerable mm-hmm. and the other one kind of belittles them and shuts them down. Oh yeah. And you're like, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking about that. That's one of the, yeah. and that happens in betrayal all the time. And that's one of the fastest ways to shut down future communication. If I don't feel like I can come to you and be heard and be Mm -hmm. respected, whatever my feelings are and validated in that experience. Right. And, and you make me feel bad for feeling it. Cause a lot of times we'll hear stories of, um, you know, even just as a woman is protecting her heart and her body through this process, going slowly, like I'm saying is a healthy, healthy thing. Sometimes the addicted spouse will be like, well, I haven't um, acted out. I'm in sobriety. It's been six months. What's your problem? Right. And they belittle the insecurity. They make the woman feel like it's um, her fault that she's not healing fast enough. And I would argue because anybody that says that is probably going to fit into this category. It's actually a lot of what you're doing in that case. That's not making her feel safe and it's slowing down the process. So it's this on both sides, like you're saying, allowing the person to be heard. And I I think we did that. You know, Mm -hmm. I did not know that you, this is something you were struggling with. And so it, while I was completely disgusted and angry and felt hurt and lied to and manipulated. And there's all that on my side. I also felt a lot of compassion for the way that you were explaining the self-hatred and struggle and um, just disgust you felt being in the addiction itself and the struggle that you had felt. And so I felt a lot of compassion for you. So I could, I could hold both of those simultaneously where I'm going to listen to your story Mm -hmm. and support you through your journey to get into being the person that you want to be while also expressing to you how much that hurt me. Yeah. And one thing there, you, you got to understand that the, the betrayed may bring a level of skepticism to your stories. So for those of those of the betrayed who are sharing, just keep that in mind as you're going through that process that there could be, they've been manipulated or, or whatever they've been lied to. You just got to remember yeah. that that skepticism is going to fall away as you are um, as you follow through on what you're going to say and as you demonstrate mm-hmm. empathy and as your denial breaks down and you're willing to do whatever it takes, all of those kinds of things, those are all hallmarks of, mm-hmm. of the desire to heal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, if I could say like one thing that I would recommend to both parties, it is have a total and complete commitment to honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be committed to telling the truth about how you're feeling and what you're experiencing no matter what that means, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your fear of the outcome of that experience is. I mean, that's part of what got you into this mess, right? Is not being totally honest and vulnerable. So um, through the process of recovery, if you can just commit to being like, I promise that in our communication, I'm going to be honest and vulnerable. And, and, and that typically works so much better. Yeah. So the other thing I would say, the, I guess the last point in kind of talking about how do you move towards this or what helps is, is having hope, things to look forward to. Um, so I remember uh, what I call it back in our first relationship <laughs> before discovery, you know, we always had these things that we were like looking forward to, like vacations or like different experiences and stuff like that. And I always really enjoyed that because it was like, I have this thing. It's like moving through through this part of life to get to that part of life and spend time together and all this kind of stuff. And, and just like on a level for your brain of creativity and enjoyment and um, all this kind of stuff, I think it's always beneficial for the brain to have something to look forward to, right? And so long, there's such a long period of time in recovery where you don't feel like there's hope and you are living day to day. And it really is just a, can I survive to get through the day kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And, th- and if you're in that place, I want you to know that that's normal. And that, that phase does take a significant period of time right. because while we talk about all of these healing tools and resources and everything, I, I do also tell a lot of women that there is a component that time plays that you can't 
you can't skip and you can't speed up time. There is a point to which you are watching to see how consistent and true um, the addict is going to be in their recovery and what their new patterns are like. And is it a heart change for them? Or are they just doing it for you and all this kind of stuff? And that plays out with time. But when you get through that phase of just survival and you kind of have it, you're like, okay, I know that this is really serious. I'm seeing heart changes as a new person, all this kind of stuff. And we're starting to be more vulnerable. We're starting to like build connection again. We're starting to communicate really well. We're starting to interact. Um, you know, maybe we're kissing again. Maybe I said, I love you again. Maybe we're holding hands again. Maybe we're hugging more, whatever it is, step mm-hmm. by step, day by day. Then eventually I think having something to look forward to and create new dreams, create, start, begin talking about the future again. That is going to help your brain come out of the past that you've been living in and begin to step forward into a new future. And again, whatever way this works for you, we, and I don't know if you necessarily, we've had a lot of conversations about this. I don't know if you necessarily view it the exact same way that I do, but I very much view our old relationship as done. It was done at the beginning of betrayal. Like that was, I almost view it as a divorce. Mm -hmm. And then for a long time, I viewed it as we are not in a marital commitment to each other. And um, I did not view us as really being in a committed relationship. And I was navigating this as like, I will see where this goes. And then it started getting into, well, maybe we were sort of committed and like, they're sort of together, right? Like we're together. Okay. And then we're dating. Okay. Right. And like, okay. Oh, now we're like in a committed relationship again, Mm -hmm. reestablishing this relationship as a couple. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I didn't necessarily, I I don't view it that way. Um, I certainly, uh, I think you're, I think there's a reason why you view it that way. Um, I don't view it that way. And I think it's it's the nature of the addict. The addict knows you know, the, the good experiences in the bad, and, and you know, that's, that's part of the problem with, with this behavior is it, is you are robbed of that. You don't know what's genuine, what's not, you know, that, that sort of thing. The betrayed partner. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I certainly know what was, what was genuine and yeah, yeah, I mean, so I certainly know that. So I don't view them as two different relationships. I view it as, as a uh, relationship that is improving and that is much more healthy um, than it was. And it's much more present and, mm-hmm. and with the opportunity to renew um, something or refresh something that, that is going to be much more healthy. Yeah. And you know what I mean? That's how I view it. I don't view it as, as, as you know. that, see that goes into like having to respect each other's perspectives yeah. because I disagree. <laughs> like, and that's okay. You view it the way you view it. I view it the way I view it. I don't like the term necessarily renew because mm-hmm. that makes me think like renewing of vows or like renewing of the same commitment. And to me, the commitment that I made to you was not with the understanding of who you were because mm-hmm. um, there wasn't total honesty there. Right. And so to me, that nullifies the commitment that was made because it was under false pretenses. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, from my perspective, I view it as like that part's done because it, it doesn't feel true to me. Mm-hmm. Even though you know the true parts, I don't feel like I was able to commit yeah. on, on the level of of total truth. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so for me that kind of just yeah, nullified is the best word I can, I can think of it kind of nullified that agreement to me. And so this relationship that we have now is creating a new agreement with new understandings, mm-hmm. which it, basically it's creating an agreement in our relationship that is now based on truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that to me feels very different mm-hmm. um, as an understanding. Are you looking for a support group for betrayal recovery? Many women who reach out to me are seeking a place where they can feel seen and heard while connecting with other women going through similar experiences. I am so excited to tell you that I am working on creating a support group to provide a safe community as well as all the tools and resources you need to spur your own growth moving forward. I have noticed that Facebook is a little clunky. It doesn't make connecting with others in the group easy and often, even if it's a private group, it feels a little too public. While there are support groups that exist, some of them are only peer-to-peer with no group education or support moving everyone forward in their healing. This can lead to groups where everyone is more stuck in a victim mentality instead of a growth mentality. There may be other groups that are just course-led, allowing you to go through an online course, but leaving you without a community when you're done. 
So what I've been hearing from all of you is that you are looking for both the growth and the community aspect in a private and safe community that is easy to use and fits within your budget. So what if we could create something brand new, something that isn't on Facebook, but it is private and uses its own app, something that is community focused, allowing you to connect both in a large group and personalized small groups of five to six women that you can develop deep relationships with. What if it offered live classes that you could either join in to engage with in question and answer, or you could just stick in the app and stream it live privately? What if it offered all the communities and lives in one place, so you weren't finding yourself jumping back and forth between Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Zoom, or you know all of the different apps? It could offer different levels of support and access based on your needs and budgets. And in addition to group and small group communities, it could also include practitioner guidance, classes, and tasks for integrating and moving your healing forward. If all of this was offered for $25 a month, would you be interested? If so, please take just a few moments to provide some feedback at the link in the show notes. I am really excited about creating this new community and would love to hear your thoughts. So let's talk about that actually, because talking about hope and creating something new and something to look forward to and all this kind of stuff. Um, one thing that, you know, we've been talking about, like, don't rush yourselves. I really mean that don't rush yourselves because as you go through this process, part of trusting your body and trusting your intuition as you go through recovery is learning that your brain and your body will nudge you when it's right to begin taking forward action on something. So whether that is emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, planning vacation, um, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. your body is basically going to come to a point where it hit the wall and says, okay, now's the time. Okay. I think you're ready. Mm-hmm. And until you get to that point, if you try to force yourself into the next phase or whatever you think that next thing that you're trying to step into, but it's not sincere and, um, you know, all the, all the, um, buttons haven't been aligned and pushed correctly and and all the wounds haven't been addressed and everything then if you try to step into that next phase your body and your mind is going to resist mm-hmm. and you're going to feel this real confusion you know in your nervous system and in your brain and in your emotions but i think when you get give yourself and your relationship enough patience and consistency and time the buttons are going to pop and you're going to go oh okay i'm ready for mm-hmm. xyz and that has happened to us recently where you know we've been doing I would say well for a really long time Mm -hmm. and there's still been stuff that like we just haven't, uh, haven't done. And one of the things that happened originally was the November before I found out about, uh, the addiction, I had taken my rings off to get them, um, resized and soldered together and kind of clean all this kind of stuff. And I found out in January, February, everything that was going on. And so for a couple months, my rings have been gone doing this. And I hadn't been wearing them. And then they came back, I don't know, a couple months after that and, um, never put them back on. Right. And every once in a while I would get, you know, a question about it on social media or, you know, someone I know or whatever be like, Hey, what's, what's, what's your, what's the deal with the rings? You know, like, are you, what do you think about that? And so again, so kind of going into the way I view the relationship as a whole, I loved those. Oh my gosh. I thought they were so beautiful. I love them. But really, what does a ring represent, right? It represents that commitment. It represents that original marriage. It, to me, had so much um, symbology, is that a word? um, Symbolism. (laughs) To me, the ring had so much symbolism to it of something that I I didn't want to accept in that moment. And for a lot of the recovery, I wasn't also viewing us as in a committed marriage Mm -hmm. um, as we went through that. So I wasn't wearing them, right? And, um, so then as we kind of got closer and I felt like we were committed and everything, it just still didn't really feel right to put those on. It just doesn't, I love them. I still think they're incredibly beautiful. And I also, I was kind of like, man, I wish I could like, it'd be great. You know, it's, it's a pretty ring. Like it'd be nice to wear this or, you know, and, and then I just eventually started feeling like, okay, well maybe I could wear a ring again. Maybe we're in the place where I could wear something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then it just kind of popped and I was like, okay, I'm actually ready because there have been times, you know, where I pulled it out and I put it on and, you know, if it just doesn't feel right, don't force yourself to do it, you know? And, um, and so recently I brought it up to you that I was like, well, what if we take the old ring 
and we have someone create a new design. So we use the same diamonds uh, and we keep that part of it, but then we create something totally brand new. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that felt really like exciting Mm -hmm. and kind of hopeful and like taking the old and creating something new. And that seems very symbolic in a positive way, as well as um, combining kind of the way I view like our relationship, right? Like we're taking some of that old and like, creating something new and beautiful and maybe even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we can, we can absolutely go through that process. And I think, I think that's an important thing to be looking at things that can make you feel um, whole in that facet of your relationship. Yeah. How did like, when I brought that up to you, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, kind of like we were just talking about how we view the relationship, you know I mean? I was, I was always, I don't want to say bothered by it, but it's like, it was a wish, right? It was like, I wish you would wear the rings, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to come in and be like, hey, wear the rings. You know what I mean? It's stuff like that because that's not my call, you know, in, in light of, of everything that's happened. So, you know, I, I actually even felt like I was just going to allow it to to run its course, meaning, you know, just see where where your heart takes you on that. So, mm-hmm. The fact that you arrived at this, I think, is is true and honest, and I think it it actually makes sense to to do that that way. How did you feel when I told you though? No, it felt good. I mean, it was like it was like a renewal piece. It was like wow, kind of. Yeah. I was building chairs, and uh, <laughs> I told you, yeah. and you almost cried. Yeah, no, I mean, because it it you know you you. I think I've tried really hard to give you your space. Yeah but secretly wishing that, you know what I mean? That, that things were better and that things. So, you know, when, when those types of things, and that's one of them, mm-hmm. like the first time you said, I love you again. And, you know, and stuff like that, that's just, it's a sign of, of, mm-hmm. of a reconnection. Yeah. And so yeah. that that's why it, it's emotional, you know? Well, I think that's um, the important piece there is what you said is that you would have preferred maybe that things went a little faster or went a little different in mm-hmm. some areas, but you gave me the space to get there myself. Mm-hmm. I think what hinders recovery for betrayed partners more than anything else is if they feel pressured or coerced or forced or obligated to do something before they're ready to do it, it's actually going to have the opposite effect. It's going to make that process so much longer. Mm-hmm. And so by having these conversations and respecting the fact that I do view it differently and I do feel differently. And, and even like you view it that way, but you have acknowledged you completely understand why no, of course. I yeah. view it and the yeah. validity of the way I view it. And so it's not like you're saying, well, I view it differently and that's kind of silly. Like, no, you were like, no, I totally get it. Like yeah. that's the way, you know, if, if maybe if you had that experience, you would have felt the same, you know? And um, so not, you know, not pressuring me in any way. And you never did. Like I knew I guess to some extent, I probably knew you would have loved that I was wearing the ring, right? And we we exchanged your ring, mm-hmm. I think, within the first year yeah. that I gave you a new one and stuff like that. Um, but for me, it was just a longer process. And so I think part of, part of that was not pushing me and mm-hmm. respecting the the different opinion. And, and so that's the piece of encouragement that I would have for people. I think that's like, I kind of wanted to share that with people because I feel like it's like really exciting. Yeah. And that's one of the... To me, that's one of the biggest signs of like, let's build a future together Mm -hmm. and um, be in it to win it long term. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think it's just these little steps that come up as you as you rebuild. And it may be something really silly. It may be like returning to a favorite vacation spot, but in a different way, you know, for a couple or something like that. I mean, it, it, it could be any of those things that that kind of recreates or has that restoration impact, mm-hmm. you know, to, yeah. And, and, but, you know, I think you, you know, people have to heal at the rate they heal. I, I actually said this the other day. I was like, you know, you have to trust the process. Um, sometimes you don't know what that process is. And I think it's different for every person mm-hmm. and couple. Um, and the reason it's different for every person and couple is because all the reasons we've said, Mm-hmm. You know, what was your level of intimacy like before? What was your level of hurt in your life before? What was, what was, you know, what are the factors? How are you walking through recovery and sobriety work mm-hmm. now and relationship recovery now? Yeah. That is your process. And so, 
Um, it's got to take its twists and turns. It's got to take its time. It's got to take, it's got to percolate the way it like Getting to know someone new. Right. Because it really is the same process. Because now that you have this level of honesty, it's kind of like, hey, I didn't know this person. Mm-hmm. I thought I did, but I don't. Yeah. And you're relearning so many things about this person. You're learning new things about this person. And so it really is kind of starting from scratch in a lot of ways. And so just having the patience yeah. to, to do that. Um, I think it's going to, it's almost like viewing it as like, okay, well, I'm dating someone again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it, I think it makes a lot of sense for the betrayed partner to have to fall in love again in terms of like, there's that huge disconnect and the fear and the protection. And like, it's going to take a while for those layers to come down as you build consistency and time and trust and safety and all those things we've talked about. Do you feel like you had to go through a process of falling back in love? Uh, no, I actually feel like what my process was, was to um, move through the notion of I could be loved by you again. Mm. And I think that, so maybe so. Um, but I think it's the, the, you know, and we've talked about this on this podcast, you know, my like, well, you're better off with somebody else. So let me get on out of here. I'll get out of your way. I'll make sure you're taken care of. But, um, so it wasn't that, that I had ever really fallen out of love with you. It was just, I had to learn that it was okay to be loved by you. And so I think within that, you know, it, 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 and, and this is what's crazy is, is, is as I have learned that, that I therefore become more confident around you, which makes it, you know what I mean? It's a really, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you, which then allows me to respond in different ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would always say, hey, why don't you flirt with me? And we're like, well, it's hard to flirt with somebody that you feel like you deep to your core that you've hurt and that they would be better off without you. There's going to be no zero pursuit in that. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's interesting too. The not rushing it goes on both sides. Because sometimes that's happening on the addict side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this through how this process, there's been so much communication about where we are mm-hmm. and how we feel about each other and about the relationship and about the pain that we're both experiencing. And it, it it's layers. And so if you're going through this and you're experiencing it and you feel frustrated, you're not alone. Right. That's normal. And it is it is true that the addict is going to have layers too, because addiction is a sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. So when they get, you know, rid of pornography or cyber sex or whatever it is, that doesn't mean that they're magically going to be okay with intimacy. Right. Right. Yeah, like that's yeah. a whole other can of worms. That is, they have to relearn how to actually connect with a partner on an intimate level, because that's something that they're not used to doing. And that's part of the addiction itself. And then the betrayed partner has to go through, can I trust this person enough to be vulnerable to allow emotional intimacy and connection to be part of our relationship again? And then physical intimacy that is so vulnerable and that sort of thing. And so those, those take time and a lot of respect and communication around it. Yeah. So, yep. Trust yeah. the process. You feel like it's worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, there, there's so much that comes into uh, living into your full self and that's the recognition that you, that you can love. It's the recognition that you are worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the recognition that you can improve upon the person that you are right now, not because you should be or you should be shamed into it, but mm-hmm. through a process, you can you can be better than you are. You don't, you know, in, in, in anything in life, you never have to sit in where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you can move along and, and there are so many people willing to help you do it. And even in a in a relationship, the other, the, the hurt person will help you move along. If, yeah. If, if that, that's what you're doing. What um, do you think has been the most um, mushy, romantic, or like happiest moment that has encouraged you about our relationship since discovery? Like, has there been like a moment that you remember like, oh, that like really made me feel connected or hopeful or like we were moving forward or just like really in love or anything like that? That you can, uh, can you think of anything, Patrick? <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I think there was a couple. I think there was there was when you when you asked me to move back upstairs, right? I think that was a big one. You know, that was a you know, there's a couple things there. You know, it was the recognition that you wanted me around, but also that you know, I think in my own mind, I, at that moment, you viewed me as more safe, and so I you know, I never wanted to be an unsafe person, right? And so I think that's what that's what sometimes comes out of this behavior is when you get found out, you're like, you're kind of a whore, you, you abhor yourself. And so I think, I think that was a really kind of, you know, mushy moment. Um, 
I think there was some worry when Keegan was leaving, you know, like, well, what's going to happen? And then you know, we've kind of been able to navigate through that and had some really beautiful moments and, you know, with intimacy as we've approached each other and we've planned things. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I think, I, I can't think of anything. And I apologize. You kind of put me on the spot. Here. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just, I have this, you know, the, these moments where connection seemed to deepen not because of something else, right? But because of who we were as a couple. So, you know, moving back upstairs was purely a couple move, right? Yeah. Staying together and working on things after Keegan left meant it wasn't about Keegan anymore, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and his parents, we were like, hey, we got to make sure Keegan's, you know, final, mm-hmm. you know, months in the house before he goes off to college or stable as best we can do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think those were about us. And so I think those things really meant a lot. You know, the ring thing, that's about us. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a demonstration of, of steps forward in a, in a broader way. Yeah. So how about you? Yeah, I think for me, there was like a, a shift that you were putting all this time and effort and consistency in. And, and you noticed this too. It's like <laughs> you, uh, you'll leave me a note every single morning, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think you only read them like No, I read them every single day. Be quiet. I'm One out of seven days. No, I love them. They're so special. And you bring me coffee and I'll say, so I, you know, I got into this routine and, and to a point in the beginning, it's very much like, well, yeah, you have to earn my love back and you have to build my trust. And, um, these are, these are great. These are extra things that are, you do that you don't have to do. Um, I appreciate them on a very surface level, but they're not like hitting me on a heart level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that and I'm going to appreciate it. And also it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. Right. Um, I I'm thankful for it. It's not like I want you to change. I'm, I'm glad, you know, but it's, it's kind of like the surface cause there's that protection level of not getting too involved mm-hmm. so that I don't get hurt again. Right. And that was there for a really, really long time, even as we started to develop and um, move forward and heal and all kinds of stuff. And so I think there was a shift in my emotional being mm-hmm. and it was like all of that all that effort that you put in and all of the consistency that you put in and all of the little things started to really mean more and all of a sudden I felt more like I can trust you and start to relax right again mm-hmm. and to me that is like a huge like that's probably like the biggest thing because the relaxation into the relationship and the trusting in the relationship allows that ability to hope and create the future again because until that was really locked in Mm -hmm. it was a wait and see kind of place with a protection wall up against you know my heart and stuff like that and it was when that kind of began to drop down and kind of crumble down that it was like, okay, well now I, I really can lean on you. I like, I can really just trust that you're going to be here. I can trust that you don't want to relapse, that you're not, mm-hmm. you're not struggling internally about like, I'm behaving this way, but I really want this to, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. And now I can start to like envision a future and think about things. And to me that, that shift is like really. And so I think out of that shift, came the ring, which means a lot to me to come to you and say, Hey, I'd like to, this is an expression of my commitment to you to wear this. Mm -hmm. To me, that is a huge, huge deal. Like that is a, after the pain that we've been through saying, I want to put something on my body that tells people that I'm not available. Like that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that moment is really big for me to communicate that to you and to do it in a way that makes sense for us. And then, um, (laughs) <laughs> and kind of as like I said, as the heart wall comes down, like I told you the other day, I had a little whoosh. You did tell me that. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that means a lot because I think that, um, that's a fear almost that you have as a woman, like, will I ever feel the spark again? Mm-hmm. You know, will I, will I ever have those romantic feelings or the whooshes of love or the appreciation for my spouse again? Right. And so I think, um, those things happening are big, huge moments for me. Yeah. 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 Very nice. <laughs> How does that make you feel better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's um I feel like those have kind of meant a lot to me. So mm-hmm. anyway, to answer the question about falling in love again, 
I hope, I mean, I, we shared a lot about our personal experience. We also kind of zoomed out and said, Hey, these, these are the aspects of our situation that we think really help people. And then it's a lot of communication, the consistency in the time. And I hope that's been communicated. No rushing, right? Yes. People's timelines are going to be different. So sometimes people's timelines are going to be much faster than ours and that's mm-hmm. fine. And don't try to make it faster just for the sake of being faster. Right. Quality over time. So make sure that the steps that you're taking, the communication that you're having in the process that you're going through is a quality process of building that trust, of respecting each other, of building that love um, that maybe is not romantic at first, but building that love together and um, building that life together. And then eventually over time, it'll wear down that heart protection and you guys will be able to be vulnerable. And with that vulnerability, then it's going to come that intimacy that you're looking for. And it's very rewarding at that point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I love being in love with you. I love being in love with you too. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.